It's worth seeing what God has done in this young man's life. Now he has those spears bounce away from one. From another. From another. From another. Duclair again wide, beautiful ball for Pierre Spies. Oh, Spies is straight through. I was selected in the World Cup squad, and two weeks after the squad announcement in our training camp with the Springboks, I started to cough up blood and had chest pains and had pain breathing. And our team doctor took me for some tests and had a few looks at me. And then the shocking news hit us again, and I had blood clots in my lungs. I was thinking to myself, God, what is happening? Blood clots? I mean, God, you must be joking. We're on our way to the World Cup, the highlight of my career. And I'm walking in your ways, God. I live a healthy life. I look after my body, and I train hard, and I don't use illegal substances. And immediately I knew God was in control. I didn't know exactly how, but his word says he has a plan for our future and that we've been healed by his wounds. Walking in faith was what I did now. I wrote on a big poster and I said, healed in Jesus' name. But I made a decision to praise God, even if I stayed sick or get healed, because I know God's plan is bigger than mine and I had to submit to his will. And always in my car on the way to hospital, I put on the praise and worship music. And I screamed and I praised God with a loud voice, knowing that whether these lungs are sick or if they're healthy, I'm gonna praise God and I'm gonna keep on, for he is good. After the six months period of medication, after a lot of trials and tests and tough times in the media, a miracle happened and God healed me. Doctors said it was impossible. I would never play again, and most people with blood clots never get off the medicine. But God is moved by faith, and not by world systems. And I put my faith in God, and He did a great work in me, and He can do the same for you if you put your faith in Him. Just keep on keeping on, and God will come through for you. May God bless you in this. Namayan was born in a Hindu family, and he's got a story. And I'm sure when you see him, you will understand he, he's not built for rugby. But God somehow or the other has connected him with all these great men who have played rugby. He's going to tell you the story, a little bit of his story, and a little bit of his journey today. I'm going to invite him up, but before that, let's all rise up and, and stand up on our feet and welcome him. I present to you my answer, Brian. Praise God. You may be seated. Fantastic atmosphere tonight and uh, really good to be here. Yes, uh, I've written books for, for rugby players. Uh, Inga Gamala, awesome friend, and Pierre Spies, you've read up there. I've uh, lived in South Africa most part of my life and uh, came to New Zealand in the year 2000 and I've lived there, lived here since the year 2011. Just went back to South Africa last year, December, and uh, writing a few more books for some rugby players there. And the thing is, you know, 
tonight I wanted to talk to you about identity. I mean, you've seen uh, Pierre Spichet's testimony and the fact that even though he was given the bad news that uh, you know, he may never play rugby again, he may, he may even uh, you know, not even consider, uh, the doctors also told him, which he didn't say there, was that he may even die. That's how bad the news was. But you see, Pierre had his identity in Christ. And tonight I felt really on my heart, Enga and I were, were chatting and we said, we want to talk about identity because, you know, I went back to South Africa in December and the thing is, I got welcomed back in South Africa. I opened up a bank account there and I went down to, uh, I went away for a holiday in another city in South Africa and I came back and I looked at my internet uh, banking and I saw that 900 Rand, the South African currency, was withdrawn from my bank account. And I didn't use my card. I didn't withdraw that. And I found my bank and they said, oh, you've been a victim of uh, card cloning. Someone had cloned my card. It happens quite often in South Africa. So I thought that is my welcome back, you know, I'll come back to South Africa. What is that? That is what we call in the world identity fraud. Somebody had cloned my card and taken my identity of my bank card and used it. And the thing is, in the world today, identity fraud is a big thing. That is why in New Zealand we have the Privacy Act. The Privacy Act there is to protect your identity, to make sure nobody can come in and, and steal your identity. But the tragedy is that in life today, we're forgetting who we are. And for me, as a South African Indian, I, I faced a huge challenge because in South Africa, if you know the history, uh, we were under a very racist government called the apartheid government. And basically what it said is uh, I was born the wrong color. Now, incidentally, as an Indian in South Africa, I was not regarded as black. I was regarded as a half black. But now that I've lived in New Zealand for 11 years, I'm all black. So a bit of a progression in the journey. So, so tonight, before you hear from the all black, you're going to hear from the half black. All right? Where's Saddle, my coat hanger? There you go. And, and tonight, I want to talk about that. You know, just quickly to let you know, my first introduction to New Zealand happened when I was about seven years old. And there was this great rivalry between the Springbok rugby team and the All Black rugby team. And now you've got to understand that I grew up in a society that said anything black was evil. If you were black, you were not regarded as a first-class citizen. You were not given opportunities to vote. You were not allowed to, to, to go to certain places, restaurants, hotels were reserved exclusively for white people, for Europeans. So I was brought up with the psychological indoctrination along with millions of other South Africans that I was the wrong color. And anything black was evil and wrong. And as a seven-year-old, I remember watching the news on TV about this team called the All Blacks playing the Springboks. And as a seven-year-old, like, I said to myself, my goodness, black is evil. And now these guys are calling themselves all blacks, so they must be very evil. <laughs> so I, I, I stayed up, you know, to, uh, to watch this game. And, and I was amazed. I was so amazed because as the team ran onto the field, there were some white people calling themselves not just black, but all blacks. <laughs> and I said to my father, Dad, why, why are they calling themselves all blacks? Because I was psychologically indoctrinated to believe that black was wrong. And, you know, the thing is, God's got a real big sense of humor. And, and 20 years later, I find myself live, living in the land of the all blacks, where everything is black. Black sticks, black socks, black caps, black this, black everything. And the thing is, 
you know, you realize that sometimes, you know, we, we go with the flow. And we start to not question why we believe in these things. And tonight I hope, by the power of God, that that is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to question and you're going to have an opportunity to, to ask the question, why? But tonight the question I want you to pose to you is this question, which is my first slide, which is, who am I? You know, I trained here in New Zealand. I came in the year 2000. I trained as a teacher. I qualified as a teacher and I, I started teaching in the schools. And I speak from experience because from the schools I progressed through to uh, tertiary institutes and one of the biggest problems that young people have is the identity issue. Who am I? And today sometimes because of peer pressure, because of what other people say, we forget who we are. And for me as a young person growing up, that's what I was made to believe, lies. Sometimes we get our identity from the fact that we have a lot of money and we think that our bank balance is, is who we are. Sometimes we, we, take, we take it from the place of our birth, but the car that we drive, the house that we live in. And also as an Indian, we, we place emphasis on, on our caste, on our surname, on our family. You know, if you look at India and there's something called the caste system, I don't have time to tell you what it is, but you can ask the prophet Google what the caste system is all about and find out a bit more. But it's your status in society that people look to. You know, if you, if you dress with nice clothes and if you, you know, your parents drive a nice car and you've always got money on you, then yeah, you must be somebody. The thing is, I'm not against all of that. I, I, you know, I like a nice car, I like a nice house. But the problem is that in society, our identity comes from not the right places. Because let's be honest, let's, let's be honest and, and let's be real here. Money can buy us an expensive bed, but can it guarantee us a good night's sleep? Money can buy us an expensive wedding ring, but it cannot guarantee you a happy marriage. Money can buy you an expensive medical plan, can buy you access to the best hospitals, best doctors, but can it buy you good health? No. You see, there's a lot of things that money can buy you. And because of, of society pressure, because of, of wanting to be in with the crowd, we forget that there's a lot of things that money can't buy you. Money can't buy you love. It can't buy you happiness. And that's the thing I want to talk about tonight. I don't know how we're going with the PowerPoint, but uh, there's, a, uh, there's a picture that I wanted to show you. If, if that's coming, are we winning there? We're getting to it? Okay. We, there we go. This is the picture I wanted to show you. What animal is that? Or what creature is that? Chameleon. Who can tell me what's special about a chameleon? What unique pro features does it have? Yes, young man. It can change colors. Fantastic. So if you, put that green, if you put a chameleon on a green leaf, what color does it become? On a brown log? Brown. Okay, and um, that, that's the feature of the chameleon. And the tragedy in life is that we live lives, some of us, like chameleons. We start to take color from our environment. We start to become like the places we are involved in. We become like what they are doing. If, 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 if my friend John is, is wearing this sort of clothing, then I'll wear his clothing. If Mary is wearing a hair like that, if Tom Cruise decides to do this, then we become like Tom Cruise. If, um, give me some other famous actors, uh, Justin Bieber. Right, if, if Justin, you know, I believe now there's Bieber mania and all of these things, you know. If Justin Bieber uses a certain cologne, then the guys will go buy the cologne. If he likes a certain thing, they will go use it. If he uses a certain toilet, uh, no, toilet paper, no, sorry. <laughs> 
But you get the point. We want to be in with the crowd. We want to be hip. We want to be happening. And we just start to take in anything and everything that people tell us. And sadly, you know, if somebody says you're dumb, then yeah, I'm dumb. You know, the thing is, as a teacher, you know, I, I've seen it so many times. I've seen it so many times. You know, young people do that. And we all know what that means. And I tell them, I said, no, come here. And I turn it around and I make it into a V and I tell them victory. Because we have the victory. We have Jesus Christ in us. It doesn't matter what people say to you. What matters is what God says. And the thing is, I was on this journey. And um, as a Hindu, as Pastor Sajjan mentioned, you know, I, was, I was brought up in a different way. We believed in a philosophy called karma. And karma said, you are where you are because of what happened in your past. And you can't change it. You can't change it. If you were born into a certain way, if that's what it was, that's it. That's your lot in life. Karma said, you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. But the reality in life is that it does not work like that. Some of us here today, you know, we are where we are, not because of what we've done. Maybe it's because of some things that our parents have not done, or our brothers and sisters and other people. And because of their choices and actions, we are where we are. And if you believe in the law of karma, if you believe in, in the worldly saying, there was an old song, if you ask your parents, it was called Que Sera Sera, which basically said, what will be, will be. That's it. You have dealt the hands, or the hand of, of cards, and that's it. You can't change it. You've you got to live with that. But that's not what it's about. I've got another slide there about a little bit of what karma says. And, you know, you may say, what does karma have to do with me? I tell you what. We believe in this, but we don't realize what it is. And one of the things that karma says is that you can't change your circumstances. That's how you are. And you've got to live with that. A person is trapped by their own past. Because you've done bad things, that's it. You've done bad, so you have to get back. Bad things. You know, I know PSPs personally, like I know Inga Trigamala. And I know that he didn't do anything bad to get the blood clots in his lungs. I'm going to ask you a question. What bad thing did Jesus do to die the death on the cross? If you know your Bible, you know there's a man called Job. And you know how much he suffered. What bad thing did he do to suffer like that? Nothing. So the reality is that bad things happen to good people. That's just the way it is. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, and if you look at the bottom part there, is that in Christ, we have the beginning of a new life. The old is gone. Behold, a new, uh, the debt has been paid. Behold, we become new creations. And that's the good news that we carry. And I didn't know this good news. Because I was brought up in a country that had a system, which I've said to you, called apartheid, that said you were the wrong color. But you know what's the other irony? These, this, this government that promoted apartheid, gets what religion or faith they held to? Or that's what they said. Were they Hindus? No, they were Christians. That's, that's what they promoted. They were living as Christians. And because of that, there was no way that we wanted to become Christians. Why do I want to be a Christian? Because in the Christian heaven, there's going to be black separate, Indian separate, white people separate. Because that's how I thought. Because I was living in this country, run by Christians. And we were led to believe that Jesus was the white man's God. So why do I want to have anything to do with him? There's no relevance. There's no meaning to me. I've got my gods. In fact, I didn't have one God. I had 3.3 million gods. So... Why do I want to have another one? I've got plenty of gods. But then you see the thing is in 94, South Africa changed for the better. 
it became a democracy. For the first time ever, we were given the right to vote. And I remember as an 18-year-old, um, going and standing in the lines. In fact, at that time, I was, I was 19, so you can do the maths. I was standing in the lines, and if you, your parents remember the, the CNN and, and the Sky News television cameras where we're showing you the lines and the masses. I mean, if you think New Zealand's big, you've got 4 million people. In South Africa, we've got like 50 million people. But it didn't matter to us to stand in the line to cast our first vote. And we stood in these lines, and in 94, uh, Nelson Mandela was elected as the first democratic president of South Africa. And we received physical freedom as such. But the thing is, I was searching for identity in a, in a, in a, in a freedom system of man, a political system. But very soon I realized that as a young person, I was one of the first non-whites, that's what they, we were called in South Africa, non-whites, to play professional cricket and professional soccer. Cricket in the winter, in the, summer, in the, summer, uh, yeah, in the winter, summertime, and soccer in the wintertime. And South Africa had just changed. The umpires and the referees were still white fellas. The country changed, but they were a little bit slow on the uptake. And we would, we would go into, to, I would go into bowl, and, and I would bowl, and the guy's leg would be right in front of the wicket, and I would scream, how's he? And the umpire wouldn't give me out. And it happened so often. And I'd say to the umpire, what's wrong with that? Is it going down center? You never get that. You don't play cricket. All right, that's fine. <laughs> Sajan's got that. He started laughing. You know, you know the batsman would, would nick the ball, a fair nick. And, and we'd go, yeah, and the umpire is standing there, not even picking his finger up. And then the opposite would happen when we would bat. We would pad up outside off stump, bat in the air, ball clips the pad, the bat is here, ball clips the pad, and the opposition scream, how's he? And the umpire goes, yeah. And that's what happened in the soccer in the wintertime. We would play soccer. Oh, the other thing is that in the cricket, we'll turn up at the away games. And guess what? In the 40 degree heat, 35 degree heat, the visitors' change rooms are conveniently locked. And we're trying to find the keys. Oh, we're trying to find the keys. But if you don't take the field in the next five minutes, you're going to forfeit the game. So we'd change in the cars. No water. Those days, there's no bottled water. And I would see the irony that when we play these teams, these guys would be wearing crosses, nice, lovely gold crosses, because they are Christians. And they would be cheating us. And I would say to myself, my goodness, do I want to be a Christian? Definitely not. And then in the winter, we'd play soccer and the same thing. You know, we'd score a nice goal and, you know, we'd run up to the halfway line and then suddenly after we score the goal, the linesman picks his flag up, offside. And the same thing would happen in the other sense, where they would score a goal, miles offside, and the linesman's flag is down. Why am I telling you this? It's because in life, life is unfair sometimes. But that's just how life is. And I could have done two things. And I said this when I wrote my book, Born a Hindu, Die a Hindu. You know, one of the famous guns uh, that is known quite well in the world is called the AK-47 and very well known in South Africa. And I said, when I left school, I could have chosen two things. I could have chosen the AK-47 or I could have chosen a pen. And I thank God that I chose the pen. Otherwise, I may not have been standing here before you today. I could have been killed. And the other thing is today, Enga, you know, we are so blessed to go to three schools today with Enga and to hear the wisdom and the, the, the real good things that you're going you're gonna to also hear from him tonight. And, you know, one of the things is that education gives you the power of choice. Education gives you the power of choice. The Bible says in Hosea 4.6 that 
My children perish for the lack of knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. You know, the thing is, education stays with you. Edu no one can take that away from you. And I transitioned and I was searching. But the thing is, I found very, so very soon after we became a democracy that, you know, being a democracy wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. Because I put my trust in a man, in people. And they started to let me down. Until I started to question. You know, we did a certain prayer as, as a Hindu, and I began to question, and I asked my mom why we did it, and she said, because her mother did it. I asked my granny, why you do it? She said, because her granny did it. Uh, and I, my great-granny wasn't alive for me to ask her the question. But my dad's brother was a Christian, and, and I asked him, and I said, why don't Christians sacrifice animals like we're doing here? And he turned to this part of the Bible in John 3.16, which is up there, and the Word of God said, but for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed on Him should not die but have everlasting life. And my uncle said to me, Mayan, if God has already provided His own sacrifice for our sins in Jesus Christ, why then do we need to take another sacrifice? And it made so much of sense. It made common sense. But I said to my uncle, there's this Jesus, man. He's a white man's God. My uncle says, that's not true. And he turned with me to another scripture in Galatians 3.28 that says, There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And she, I was led to believe a lie. That there was this inequality, there was this difference. Because in the Bible it says God loves us all the same. It doesn't matter what color we are, what race we are, what cultural background, wherever we come from. God loves us the same. And I began to read the Bible, and the Bible became alive to me. It became a living word. Because I was always believing that my uncle became a Christian because somebody bluffed him, somebody, you know, hoodwinked him. Somebody forced him to become a Christian. And that's what I believed. You became a Christian because people forced you. Until I read a scripture in Revelation 3.20 that says, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if you open that door... He comes in and he lives with you and he dines with you. And I was told that that door is a very special door because it's a door to your heart. And that door is even more special because it has only one handle, a handle on the inside. Now what's special about a door with a handle on the inside? Can someone from the outside open it? No. Only you can open that door. And only you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. And that day I remembered getting down on my hands and my knees and I'm praying and I'm saying, Jesus, come into my heart. If you are this God that can give me peace, that can give me equality, that can give me value, that can give me worth, that can give me an identity, come and live in me. And that night I believe I was born again and I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and my life changed. Because now I had value. Now I had purpose. Now I had worth. I realized that I was born for a purpose. It didn't matter what people said, whether I was the wrong color or whatever it is. What mattered was what God said. And you see, in life, that's what's going to happen sometimes. People will say nasty things. People will try to make you feel inferior. You all know what's the meaning of inferior? In New Zealand, Kiwanese, we say they, uh, they diss you. You know, they, uh, what's the other types of languages the young people use nowadays? Eh? But you know, inferior, they put you down. But the thing is, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. You've got to choose to refuse based on what God says. That you are valuable. You are loved. God has a great plan for your life. 
And you've got to speak that and you've got to confess that I have favor wherever I go. Not because of what anybody else says, but because the Bible says so. And today, like I said, we take our identity from other things and other places. And we want to fit in with the crowd. But Jesus said, you are valuable, you are special. And I began to see myself, not as the world saw me, but as God saw me. You know, reputation is what other people think of you. Character is who you are. And I began to see myself as a child of the Most High God, as a, as a child of someone that came and died for me, that paid the price for me. I've got a picture here that I'm hoping you will see the, the funny side too, but also the, the, the truth that he's trying to portray. And this picture here that's going to come up very soon. What do you see there? Young girl with the green, come up here. Can you just tell them what you're seeing up over there quickly? Over here. Can you just describe to them what you're seeing? Because Inga's eyesight is a little bit bad there. So. A cat and a lion. And, and what's, what's happening with the cat? It's looking into the mirror. And what is it seeing? Is it seeing a cat? No. What is it seeing? A lion. Thank you very much. Give a round of applause for them. <laughs> that kitty cat is looking into the mirror and seeing itself as a lion. And that's how God sees you. The world may look at you and say, you're nothing. You're just a little kitty cat. But God looks at you and he sees the champion, the lion that is within you. And there's a Bible verse there. The Bible verse that says, greater is he that is in you, that is Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. And that's what you've got to understand, that your identity comes from what God says and not what people says. You know, I was so blessed to have met Inga and, and to travel to England to meet some of his ex-teammates uh, that played with him uh, rugby league and rugby and I'm really great men of God you know one of them is Jason Robinson the former England captain and Jason Robinson had a tremendous uh, conversion he had a tremendous uh, change of heart and that is only possible because of of Vainga Tigimala's influence in his life and I caught up with Jason in England and uh, I managed to get some some really good uh, good stuff from Jason and there's a there's a video clip that's going to be shown that you can hear from Jason exactly what happened to his life. But he shares something profound and powerful right at the end. So I want you to pay careful attention to what Jason says right at the end and listen carefully to that profound statement. So if that clip is ready, here we go. Hi, Jason Robinson here. just want to say hi to all the folks back in New Zealand. Um, we've had a, a great time this evening with Mayan. Um, be nice to, to get back over to New Zealand to catch up with you guys but uh, God bless you with the book um, and, and for everything else that you're doing over there keep the faith you know God is good and, uh, and bless you all we spoke about Australia denying them for the English team points but they couldn't hear because of that speech that Tim Horan he's got gas to burn hasn't he well it was the third or fourth phase it's a good run early on by Will Greenwood and then Delalio, look at him look inside, draw Sala and pick up Wilkinson and Wilkinson puts the ball out in front of Robinson and he makes sure by sliding early for his 16th test try. Fantastic work by Delalio and Vision and then Johnny Wilkinson looked outside for his speed man in Robinson but he could have actually thrown it on the inside because he had two more and look at the yeah you beauty.
Because I know as well now, being a Christian myself, as soon as you say you're a Christian, all of a sudden you've got the attention of everybody else. But for me, I was watching him. You know, whether he knew it or not, you know, in my own way, I was just kind of watching him. And I, because I'd heard lots of things and people saying this, that, and the other. And it's one thing to, uh, you know, to, to, to preach it. It's another thing to live it. So I wanted to see some fruit. You know, life for us and the team was all about, you know, the peer pressure and, you know, about your car in the car park, about, you know, going round about the nightclubs, the girls and and all these things. And that's where you, you gained a lot of respect within that team. You know, all I wanted to do was play rugby. My background is, you know, pretty sort of messed up not knowing my father and, you know, poor background and everything else. Um, but uh, I can remember, I don't, around the time, you know, somebody saying, you know, it's a, it's a dead fish that go with the flow. Yeah. And, I, and I saw something in him that I wanted. You know, I, 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 I'd been chasing women. You know, I had money. I'd get more money. I'd want more money. There's no, everything I had, there was no fulfillment in you know, I'd buy a BMW, then I'd want something else, and then, you know, and, and, and I was, yeah, I knew I wanted fulfillment. I knew the lifestyle that I was living, you know, I couldn't go on living anymore. Amen. Who can tell me that profound statement again? It's only the dead fish that go with the? Only the dead fish that? Any dead fish here tonight? We're all alive in Christ Jesus. Jason Robinson was a man that was going through a lot of problems at the time. Seeking his identity in what car he said, eh? BMW. Seeking his car in pleasing the woman. Pleasing his friends. The pats on the back. Until he saw something in a gentleman that's here tonight. Vainga Tuigamala. He said he saw something in him that he wanted. Inga, can you please come tonight and come up and tell us? Can you, can you tell us, Inga, what did Jason see in you? And, and complete the story and... From the half black over to the all black. And I'm still all black. Color wise, that is. Anyway, thank you for that lovely introduction, Mayan. It's so humble, very humbling to be here this evening. And um, I actually never saw that video clip until now. And. Um, he was a man that, as he shared, he had everything that the world could ever give him. Woman, money, houses, cars, fame. And yet he was a young man that was totally lost. And um, I feel a bit emotional today because, I, like I said, this is the first time I've seen the video clip. 
And it's wonderful that you can influence people in such a positive way. <clears throat> I remember saying to him, I had a dream one day, and I was a bit, a bit afraid to actually seek him and to tell him about this dream. And the dream was that um, I saw him standing on top of his world. He had everything that a man could wish for. And the world was spinning beneath his feet. And as he was standing on this world, the world started crumbling underneath him. And I shared that with him. I said, I'm sorry, my brother. I don't know what that means, but it must have some sort of significance in your life. And later on, that same week, he came and cried like a little kid would. And he said, Inga, I want what you have. And I said, Jason, what is it that I have that you want? He said, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it sure is good. I said, well, you can have it because I don't own it. I knew in my spirit and in my heart that it was the relationship with Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And sometimes as Christians, we don't know that as we walk around and go around our own business, people are watching you. People are, are, are keeping an eye on you. They listen to what you say. And in this case, Jason went on to um, receive the Lord as his personal Savior. And the rest was history. They say when you get your life right with God, everything else falls into place. The Bible says, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. For me, I was just a, a young man that the Lord had called to the UK, apart from my own personal desires, but I really believe that God had a hand in taking me over to England and making me stand boldly and unashamedly about my faith. And it wasn't about what I say and what I share, but it was how I lived my life. And that's really important. And for me, I'm really humbled because to see that for the first time just goes to show that uh, God is an awesome God. God is into transforming people's lives. And yes, we do have an identity crisis in this world that we live in. Mine has explained it so wonderfully and very articulate about your identity. See, when I was young, I grew up just like you. I had ambitions and dreams and things that I wanted to achieve. And I did achieve those, most of them. But along with it came temptations and challenges. Along with them came the, the, the challenge of having to perform and be accepted. I know what it was like to go through peer pressure. And some of you kids are sitting in this room, are already experiencing those, those challenges right now. Let me say something. I was born into a small family of 15. <laughs> Mom and Dad decided to have a small family. But they looked further afield uh, Mayan talked about 
looking further ahead in the vision. And mom and dad decided to see their vision, and the vision was to come to this country of milk and honey for better opportunities for education. And so we packed up our bags, and we came here in the early 70s. We came straight from Samoa, which was normally 29 degrees all year round, straight past Auckland, Wellington, ended up in Invercargill. It was my first introduction to snow and porridge. And it might have been all right for Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but not the Kumara clan. Nevertheless, my father put the stake on the ground and said, never again will we go backwards as a family. Back those days, the New Zealand immigration law was that you only were allowed four to travel. The rest had to be officially adopted out. And that's what my mum and dad did. I was one of the very lucky young ones that came along. And I remember coming down here, it was a culture shock. It was a climate shock. It was all sorts of shock, believe you me. Couldn't speak a word of English. But as the Tungamala had it, we just carried on and persevered and met the challenges head on. As a young kid going to school, as I shared with the schools early on, unfortunately I went to school for three things. Eat my lunch, play rugby, and make as many friends as I possibly can. That could be the same for you in this room right now. But it's one of the biggest regrets I have, and I'll talk about that later. For me, I carried on. I was a wild child that just wanted to try things, have a go at everything. I played every sport there was to play. I played basketball, wrestling, athletics, orienteering. I got lost for two days. <laughs> it was true. <laughs> I ended up down on the bank or somewhere and um, down at the Auckland Domain. Yeah, I forgot to read the instructions. But I tried everything at school. I did everything that my friends asked me to do. I was involved in a school youth gang of about 50 of us. And we terrorized the neighborhood. And my mom never saw any of this. See, my mom thought I was a good, well-behaved little Polynesian boy with a skinny afro snotty nose, they went to school, came straight back. But I was mischievous. I had a wild spirit. I wanted to try things like every other child wanted. And so I got myself into trouble. But thankfully, there was a lovely teacher who was an economics teacher of mine. And she saw something in me, as well as my other Polynesian friends. And she continued to love us, regardless despite our misbehavior and uh, getting into trouble. She loved us so much that on lunch times, she would open up a Christian fellowship group in which as time went by, I saw a lot of my friends attend. And I got really angry and I got really jealous because the same guys that were putting fear in the neighborhood had changed their lives. They were going to this Christian fellowship I had lunchtime and talking about Jesus and God and everything to do with church. But as the, time, as the days and weeks went by, it even influenced me. 
And that was when my first experience of asking the Lord into my life as a 15-year-old. I didn't exactly know what I was getting myself into, but I knew there was something missing. I knew I couldn't carry on doing the stupid things that kids normally do to try and be accepted in their, peer, in their groups. I knew sooner or later I had to come face to face of making a decision. And I made that decision as a 15-year-old. I, my teacher, my economics teacher, took me to a side. And she said, Inga, it's very simple. All you have to do is A, B, and C. Accept that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And C, confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life. Very simple. And, you know, I did that. I took a step of faith. Nothing fantastic happened. There was no lights and lightning bolts and everything that and raised off the ground. And In fact, if anything, my afro went... I wasn't changed all of a sudden, but I knew over the days and weeks and months something incredible wowed within me. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit changing me with inside. I carried on playing rugby. I became pretty good at playing rugby. And before long, I was picked in and selected in some, in some representative teams. And at the age of 19, I became an all-black. Again, my whole world changed. It changed because I was no longer a young kid that was careless and irresponsible. Overnight, virtually, I had to grow up. I had to take responsibility. And my mom, when I made the All Blacks, took me to her side and she said, Son, I'm going to give you some advice. People are going to love you because of what you've achieved and there are going to be people who don't like you and jealous of your achievements. But I want you to take this advice. Whatever you do, keep smiling. Always smile, son, because even your worst critics could never make a judgment upon you. And I've held that uh, lesson. I took that advice in all these years. And don't you think I have a fantastic smile? Praise the Lord. My, my life turned and changed for the better. But at the same time, it didn't mean that I was deprived of challenges. It didn't mean that I was, everything was going to be fixed and all my problems... And that was going to go away. No, I still had some massive challenges ahead of me. You talk about identity. In the Bible, there's a lovely story where Paul was taken to Rome to stand before the, uh, the emperor. And on the way there, an angel of the Lord appeared to him that night before the shipwreck. And he was all excited. The next morning, he couldn't help himself. The, Bible, the story says that he called the captain of the ship and his staff, as well as his fellow prisoners. And this is what he said. Last night, the God in whom I belong and in whom I serve assured me that there would be no shipwreck and not one soul will be lost. These words, last night, the God in whom I belong and in whom I serve, Paul knew his identity. In who? Not in himself, in his, in his God. He knew his identity. You see, you cannot serve something that you don't belong to. True? 
true? You cannot serve something that you don't belong to. And I think it's really important that as young, the young people today, as you go through life, that you really understand who you belong to. I can't help that my name is Inga Tungamala. In fact, I shared it early on today. I could have been an all black a little bit earlier, maybe a year earlier when I left school. And some smart person said, oh, you'll never be an all black Inga. Why? Because your name was not English. Well, this is my name. Wainga Tungamala Utah. And that's the name that my mom gave me. And if it was good enough for my mom to give me that name, it was good enough for me to hold on to that name. And I found out anyway, it was Smith in English. <laughs> and it was worth 1,000 points in the game of Scrabble. Anyway, for me, it's knowing who you are. I didn't realize I'd influenced people like Jason Robinson. Johnny Wilkinson, and one of those, some of those great rugby players in England. But they're watching you. They're watching you all the time. And can I say this as an encouragement to the young people today? It's difficult to be yourself. In the Bible, in the book of um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, I'll quickly read it for you. I want you to listen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 5, sorry. But mark this, that there will be terrible times in the last days, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This book was written way over a thousand years ago, and it still applies to us today. This is the generation we're living in. You pick up the newspaper, you read what's going on. You turn on the television, you see all the problems that's going on. Very hard. But I want to encourage you. For me, had I not turned to the Lord, had I not asked him to my life as a 15-year-old, I would struggle to find out where I am today. I really would have struggled to find where I would be today. You see, for me, it's not about being the best rugby player that I could be. It was about being the most faithful child of God that I could be both on the field and outside the field. I'm married to a beautiful Tongan woman, and I've got four beautiful children. And I know what it's like for children to struggle with their parents. My children call me the year-year dad because many times I was trying to compare them to me. When I was your age, when I was your age, and all I hear is, yeah, yeah, Dad, yeah, we've heard all that before. But you see, if as parents, 
if we don't teach our children, if we don't advise you and encourage you, then it's going to be a real struggle for you. As Second Timothy says, in the last day, it's very difficult. So I want to encourage you as we talk about identity tonight, just be yourself. That's one of the greatest things that I've learned through life. I don't try to emulate to try and be somebody. I just am, I am who I am. I don't try to impress people. You know, there are people who like me, there are people who don't like me. That's not the, that, that for me, that's not the issue. The issue is accept who you are. Because we, we live a, we, for me, I believe in an awesome God that's given me all the desires of my heart and much more. And all because I've been, I've been faithful to, to follow in his footstep. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything shall be added unto you. All your desires, all your dreams, all that you wish for will be added unto you. That's a promise that he's, he's given us through his scripture. And everything you do in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, and everything you do, put me, your God, first, and I will direct your paths and crown your efforts with success. That's all I've done. Just become obedient. And you know, I believe that, as mine uh, alluded to earlier this evening, you have God-given abilities. You're not all going to be all blacks. You're not all going to play for the silver ferns or the tall blacks. It doesn't matter. I shared with the schools early on, just your best will do. It doesn't matter about trying to be the best, just your best will do. Because I think we live in an age where a lot of our youngsters today are losing their identity. I was brought up in two words in the game of rugby, team pride. The acronym for team, together, everyone achieves more. And pride. P-R-I-D-E, personal responsibility in delivering excellence. One is an individual thing, and the other thing is a collective thing. You put those things together, you've got a recipe for success, yeah? So I really want to encourage you youngsters today, as you grow up, as you have your superstars that you would admire from a distance, and you have your dreams that you want to become, don't just Dream your dreams, live your dreams, but at all times, be yourself. Be who God has called you to be. That's the wonderful thing about belonging to God is that what he's given you in terms of your, with your talents and ability, that's his gift to you. What you become out of that talent is your gift back into the Lord. True? Because one day, the Bible says, all of us, you, 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 me, one day we all have to bow our knee and confess that Christ is Lord. And we, one day we have to give an account of our lives. And for me, it's, uh, it's about living my life to the fullest. Living it to the fullest. I want to read something that I want you as youngsters to really take on this little message. And it's from my book. And it goes something like this. 
Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure about you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It's in all of us. And I want, to, I want you to believe in that saying because we are all made in the image of God. And you know when he created us, he planted a seed for you to succeed. Amen? His desire is that each and one of you may succeed in whatever God-given talent he's blessed you with. So even though I've enjoyed tonight, I've enjoyed the singing, the worship, I've enjoyed the games, I haven't really enjoyed bending down that low to, um, to, to use those cones, but even though you've enjoyed all that, ultimately... The enjoyment comes down to where is God in your life? And those are decisions you've got to make as young and older people, young men, young women, young girls, young boys. And I, it's so uh, encouraging for me to see youngsters turn up tonight because up in Auckland where I come from, you won't see this. And that's the honest truth. And so I want to commend Pastor Lynn and uh, Pastor Sergeant and all your wonderful team, Pastor Cecilia, for your wonderful church and your, your group and bringing this together. I applaud you. I commend you for the wonderful work that you've done to these young children because it is about giving everyone outside the church an opportunity to know Christ. It was good enough for me for a school teacher to lead me to the Lord, and that is the privilege that she had, well, it's good enough for me to be able to share what God has done in my life and I can share with you. And these are just some of the testimonies that uh, we've shared tonight. And to be quite honest, um, I look back and people that I had to thank, my beautiful mother, she was my hero, when my dad unfortunately died at the age of 49, my mom took over. And she instilled in us an incredible resilience to never give up, to never be put down, to never allow people to say that you're not good enough. It was through her faith she didn't have time to mourn or grieve the loss of her husband, her soulmate, or our father. She simply got on with the job. And it was through her faith and faithfulness in her faith that allowed me to stand tall today, that allowed me to stand before you this evening and share the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Mine said, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever, didn't talk about a group of people, a certain uh, group of people, he didn't talk about a church, but whosoever, anyone who's willing to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's, what, that's where we are today, to all the young ones today. Hopefully one day you'll get the chance to step out in faith and accept Christ into your heart. It's the only thing that I can promise you. It's the only sure thing that I can promise you. That uh, if you, you know, when you come to that decision, and you know through the prodding of your heart, as the Spirit will to, uh, uh, share with you, you know that uh, when that time is right, you know, I hope that you will take the, the boldness and the courage to allow Christ into your, life, to your hearts and your lives. He'll never disappoint you because he's never done that for me. He's never disappointed me. And like mine um, shared early on about just the awesomeness of God's grace. His grace is sufficient for you and for me. And if you can take a small little snotted nose Samoan boy from Samoa to come and experience life at, at its best and gone around the world and experience the success, the success of this world, he can take you from wherever you are, whatever situation, whatever background you have, and turn it into real success. So I hope tonight that you leave this building, that you leave with a real understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to finish it there because I know I've spoken on a bit longer, but for me it's about an opp opportunity. I may never pass through this way again, but I'd like to know that if I have gone through this way, that you will be given the same chance, the same opportunity that my school teacher gave me when I was a 15-year-old child, uh, kid. So with that, I, I appreciate it. I'm going to hand it over to uh, Mayan to um, close off our, our evening. But just we really want to encourage you youngsters, and also the parents. Can I thank the parents for bringing your children out here? on a Friday night when there are probably other things, other distractions, other commitments that you have. But I really want to honor you parents for taking time to bring your children out. And can I say this? This is the best decision you've done for your children tonight. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to this fantastic speaker and wonderful comedian, uh, Mayan Sobrian. He's my brother from, my, from another mother. Okay, so, uh, but thank you to the church, thank you to all the youth leaders, to the band, and to all you wonderful people that's taken the time out this evening to be here. Thank you, and God bless. Amen. You can wait a little while, Amen. Amen. And Angus shared some, some powerful truths, and, and he, you said that in the right time, you know, God will call you. And I believe tonight that even as Enga has spoken, I believe that tonight is the right time for some people to make that decision that you made when you were 15 years of age and, and Jason Robinson made and Pierre Spies and, and a lot of other people here. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're feeling a tug of, of God in your heart and you're saying, I want, like Jason Robinson said to you, Enga, I want what you've got. And what Enga had was Jesus Christ. And whether you're young or whether you're old tonight, or it doesn't matter. I believe that God is... He's saying to you, tonight is the night. The opportunity is here for you. You know, when I gave my heart to the Lord, there wasn't an all-black present or any famous people, but it was with my uncle leading me to Christ. And tonight we have the privilege. You know, 
they don't know this, but Enga, Enga's son, son's wife, went into labor in the early hours of today. And he left Auckland, he left her at the hospital, and, and he came. And he came because of you. Because of you. Because of you. God had you in his plan tonight. That he would send, I don't know your full name, but I'll just call you Vainga Tuigamala. To speak to you about the God that changed his life at 15. The God that changed Jason Robinson's life. The God that gave me an identity to not feel inferior and to be who I am in him. To be secure in him. And tonight that privilege and opportunity is available to you. you know, we don't want to go on too long and, and prolong the whole issue. But Enga said it's as easy as A, B, C. And if that's you tonight... Uh, I don't know if the, if the band's going to come up and, and just to help us with this opportunity, but if that's you tonight, you know, without, without anyone forcing you, if you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord in your life, if you haven't accepted Him, the A, if you haven't B, believed, and if you haven't C, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, tonight the opportunity is there. Maybe you felt inferior. Maybe you felt not good enough. If that's you tonight, don't look at the person next to you. Maybe someone's brought you along. A friend has brought you along. Maybe you do need that encouragement of, of someone to walk with you to the front. If you've brought a friend here tonight, you ask them, would you want to come forward and give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? I've asked Inga to stay behind because if that's you tonight, how awesome it is that God has sent Vainga Tuigamala from Auckland tonight to help you with that to lead you with that A, B, and C. If that's you tonight, ask your friend, would you like to come forward and give your heart to Jesus Christ? If you've come alone, then you make that decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord in your life. It made a big difference in Enga's life. It made a big difference in my life. Let's all just stand. And even as the band leads us with a song, I'm going to hand back If that's you tonight, come forward. Come forward. And you make that decision tonight.
come forward tonight and, and take that decision. If there's anyone here tonight that hasn't made Jesus their Lord and Savior, and you want to make the decision to accept Jesus, then sometimes it seems embarrassing to ask the question, to carry on asking the question. But I'd rather be embarrassed for Jesus for two more minutes and give you that opportunity to make that life-changing decision to give your heart to Jesus Christ. If that's you tonight, please come forward. Don't worry about people. Here at Vyinga said it, it didn't matter what people thought about it. What mattered was what God thought. So even as the band continues to play softly, the invitation is there to give your life to Jesus Christ tonight and to get a new identity. Forget about the past. The past is, is behind. Young people, old people, if that's you tonight, won't you please come forward? And it will be Enga's privilege and honor to pray with you the church leaders as well if there's no one here tonight and let me encourage you maybe you've you've been made to feel inferior maybe people have said nasty things about you they said you're not good enough you're too fat you're too thin you're too tall you're too short whatever it is we don't want you to leave here tonight with those words of negativity spoken over you if that's you tonight I want to encourage you the church is here the leadership is here. We want to pray with you. So feel free to, to come forward and, and receive. Receive the encouragement that you need. And I read that poem that it's not anything else that puts you down. Christ is here to pick you up. And that's you tonight. I encourage you. I come encourage on, you to people, come forward. This is the opportunity for you. Come on, young people, this is the opportunity for you. If you are feeling a tug in your heart, you want what Inga was talking about, you want what Mayan was talking about, this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. There's no need, there's no need to go home tonight with that burden. Here's your opportunity. There's no need for you to go home tonight with that burden on your heart. There's no need for you to go home tonight with that feeling that you are inferior. If you feel you want to come forward and you're feeling, you know, how do you know that you, you are the person who should, who should be coming forward? You feel in your heart you want to respond to what Inga said this night. You would like to have what Inga said this night. You feel it in your heart but your mind is talking to you and saying, no, no, what will people think? No, no, what will people think? This is your opportunity. Let me tell you, we have been in that place. Respond to your heart. Yes, I can see a young man coming forward. Respond to your heart. Come on, respond to your heart. Don't, don't listen to your mind. Respond to your heart. Respond to your heart. Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. Come on, another two coming forward. Come on, Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. Come on tonight. If you're feeling that tug in your heart, if you are feeling that tug in your heart, one more person coming forward. If you are feeling that tug in your heart, come on, come on, yes, come on, yes, come on, more young people coming. Yes, come on, you are feeling that tug in your heart, you know you should be here, you know you should be here, come on, come on. Jesus wants to talk to you personally tonight, he wants to be your personal friend. Come on tonight, there are more, I know there are more here, I know there are more people here, there are more young ones here, God has been talking to you. While Inga was talking, 
or when Mayan was talking, you felt, yes, that's me, that's me. If that's what you felt, let me tell you, you should be up here in the front because Jesus wants to touch you tonight. Jesus wants to touch you tonight. Jesus wants to touch you tonight. He's a good friend. He's a good friend. I know there are some more people. I know there are some more people. I can feel it in my, in my heart. There are some more young men here. Some more young women here. You have felt that nobody wanted you. Nobody loves you. I can feel it. You felt that nobody loves you. Nobody wants you. But Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you. He's saying, come my child. Come my child. Come on. Come my child. Come on. Yes, come on. He wants to talk to you personally. He wants to become your personal friend. Come on. It's not worth waiting. Come on. Yes, one more child coming forward. I know it's not worth waiting. It's not worth waiting, I tell you. My friend, it's not waiting, not worth waiting. Come on, one more child coming. I know there are three more, at least three more in this place. I can feel it in my heart. I can feel it in my heart. I can feel it in my heart. You know, in your heart, you want to come forward, but you're afraid. When you go home, what will your parents say? Let me tell you, let me tell you, Jesus will make a way for you. Jesus will make a way for you. He loves you. He will take care of you. I'll give one more call. I'll give one more call. Jesus loves you personally. He knows you by name. He knows you by name. Is there a person called Grace? Yes, one more. Very good. Is there a person named Grace here? Yes, come on. Yes, I knew that. Come on. Come on. Yes, Jesus loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you. Come on. Yes, come on. Very good. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you with an everlasting love. You know, I want to tell you this night that you are very bold. You are very courageous. You're very, very bold. You're very courageous. We want to honor you. Let's give them a clap, church. Woo! granddaughter was born at half past nine this morning. And even though I'm not there to witness it, I took my daughter, my, my daughter-in-law to hospital this morning at four o'clock. They didn't know I was on the plane at six o'clock to come down here. But it's been worth it. Let me tell you something. When you honor God, God honors you. And I, this is the decision you'll never ever ever regret 
Jesus says, whoever confess me before man, I will also do the same before my Father. Whoever honors me before man, I will also honor him before my Father. And I want to say to each and one of you guys, you'll never be the same because God is into the transformation. He's into your heart. It's all about your heart. I'm going to lead you into the prayer of salvation just like I was when I was 15 years old. I didn't know what I was in for, but I knew that I knew that I put my trust in the Almighty. Simple. Would you follow after me? A, B, and C. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I accept that you, that uh, I am a sinner. Lord, I accept that I am a sinner. Come on, church, pray with it. And Father, I, I believe that your son Jesus came to die for me. Father, I believe that. Lord, I open up the door of my heart today. Lord, I open up the door of my heart today. And I invite you in. And I invite you in. Lord, I confess. Lord, I confess. That you are the Lord of my life. That you are the Lord of my life. And from this day forth, Lord. From this day on. I will walk with you. I'll walk with you. And you with me. And you with me. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege I have today. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that I have today. To make a decision. To make the decision. To ask you to be the Lord of my life. To ask you to be the Lord of my life. Help me, Father, to be obedient. Help me, Father, to be obedient. In all your ways. In all your ways. Thank you, Jesus. Thank Ladies you, and gentlemen, Jesus. give a hand to all your brothers and sisters this evening. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you.